simply kick my ass if he knew the truth. He lives on my block. He drives and I rock, but he doesn't know who I am, and he doesn't give a damn about me. 'Cause I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Listen to a young maiden, baby, with me. Hey guys, I'm Tyler Hosley, and guess what? Her name is Noelle. I have a dream about her. She rings my bell. I got gym class in half an hour. I'm Dave Gray, and this week, well, just today actually, I got um into a weird conversation about kids and tube socks, and that's not that's like that's not even a joke. That was just a reality that I could phrase that way because of Tyler's anxiousness. Because that song opened this podcast, and I know it. It hasn't yet, but it will. I hope there's a mariachi cover. Did her boyfriend drive an IROC? You know, I know I, I have a friend who's fixing up an IROC and it's like it's every time I see him I I I sing that song. I can't help it. I am such a sad, sad old media junkie. You think of Weedus every time, right? Every time and that's probably the only time anyone thinks of Weedus. <laughs> Except for me, which is often. I hope there's a bagpipes cover. I'm going to look up the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Oh, that'd be amazing. They have it, and I'll let you know. Uh, I'm Kevin Matthews, and this week I will be trying not to go full Admiral Akbar when we discuss Straw Dogs, and I want to blur out, it's a trap. Yeah. And this is Raiders of the Podcast. <sighs> I got through the end of November, obviously, because uh, November half-ended now. So, you know, I didn't fit as many classics into the end of the month as I did at the start. I was just trying to keep things varied. Unfortunately, I didn't get any more Mexican noirs watched, Dave. Uh, sorry. But it's because we watched Wild Things, and then I wanted to fit in Black Widow because I'd never seen it, the one with Deborah Winger and Teresa Russell. Not just because I've long had a massive crush on Teresa Russell, but obviously that helped. And um, that's probably one of the best films I watched last week, because Black Widow's really good. Maybe because it was really not what I was expecting. I was expecting your typical... I mean, it's a 1987 movie, but I was expecting your typical late 80s, early 90s kind of erotic thriller, especially as it's from uh, Bob Raffleson, or Raffleson, who also did the remake of The Postman Always Rings twice uh, a few years beforehand. Oh, I always forget about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had fond memories of that, and then I revisited it, and if I remember right, it didn't even get a Kevin Seven. Uh, so you can take some small comfort in that fact, Dave. But Black Widow is really good. It's about um, kind of uh, sort of female friendship and trust and p- 
people motivated in certain ways that if it's part of their character, they're not even sure what is quite mixed in there. Uh, Teresa Russell and Deborah Winger are both excellent. Winger is the agent who notices this pattern of husbands who are dying after uh, not long being married. You'd think someone else would notice that pattern, but there you go. Uh, so she goes to track down whoever this mysterious black widow is. Um, I know it'll get bonus points for you, Dave, because it's got Terry O'Quinn in it. Yeah, and who doesn't love the stepdaddy? Exactly. Uh, and also another bonus point because that is James Hong in it, uh, who's really good as a, as a PI who ends up getting uh, caught between the leads. And there are different people. Dennis Hopper's in there for a scene or two. But I really liked it. And as I say, I liked it more because it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all. What uh, wasn't as good for me was I finally watched 2020's I Care A Lot, which is basically Rosamund Pike doing her Gone Girl persona if that woman had spent a few more years just developing her own business. And that business happened to be caring for elderly members of society that allows her to then drain their resources and build everything to the company. I thought this was going to be good. Uh, Peter Dinklage is in there in a supporting role. Uh, Aza Gonzalez. The the highlight for me was Diane Weist. Is that how you say her surname? Weist? Diane Weist? Weist. Yeah, isn't it? Is it Weist? I'm oh, pretty sure sorry. it's Weist. I could be wrong. I always said least, so don't you know? Don't don't take my word. We'll go with that. I've always been a big fan of hers, and um, you know, it was just good to see her really in a half decent role in a film, and she is a highlight. Pike is really good in her role. Um, the the cast generally do well, but the film itself aims at a few different targets and doesn't like focus that aim. So it it lacks the, the real bite it should have and has no tension in the second half when you think it might be looking to manufacture some. It got to a certain point where I was like, right, well, you know, certain characters are going to be generally fine for most of this is what I was thinking. And then there's an ending that uh, isn't as sort of clever or um, sort of surprising as it thinks it is either. Because at that point, you're just like, oh, yeah. It's the way they edit it and build it is just not, not great. I wanted to like it. It became distinctly average, and it got to the level of average because of the cast. I'm not going to mention the Straw Dogs remake right now, but that will factor into the conversation later. Dave, be warned. Uh, I did do some homework and fit that in this week. And then as we're into the festive season, I watched 2020's Letters to Satan Claus. Have either of you seen this one? No, but it, it is in, it's in my holiday pile and I've been, you know, waiting. It is fun. Um, 
you know, it's a, a, a sci-fi channel movie. So, um, you know, it's, it's at that level. But basically, when this woman was seven years old, I think it, I think it was seven. She wrote a letter anyway to Santa, you know, um, take my parents away, kind of home alone style. She misspelled it, so it went to Satan Claus, and things went horrible. So years later, she's going back to her hometown. She's very much grinchy. Her town is full of people who love Christmas. The town itself is called Ornament. Everyone generally has Christmassy names, and they are pretty much your stock list of characters from hallmark christmas movies but with uh with fun little twists here and there and yeah it it knows exactly what boxes it's checking and then it knows how to have fun with things and twist them around and it has uh, a a decent amount of like just smart little gags in between the really dumb moments because there are really dumb moments but it definitely works on uh, on on a couple of layers. If you're as well versed as well, I know as I am with the Christmas movies, I think you've seen a fair few, Dave. I think Tyler tries to avoid them, and would rather just watch Loser on repeat. True, but yeah. <laughs> but I think we all know the tropes and, and you know what they're about. Uh, so anybody would would know where they are. Um, twisting the knife. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And that was me. I um I started I watched Okay, so a couple weeks back I raved over Elvis Mitchell's uh Is That Black Enough for You? which kind of really made me want to watch more movie documentaries about films. And the thing I forgot is that most documentaries about movie genres suck. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I watched a couple of those, which, which were not, which were not good. And I don't want to talk about them because most of them are really fucking long. I don't understand the love one series in particular has because all it's like, there's three, three hour documentaries, which don't say anything that hasn't been said a billion times already. I don't get it. If you enjoy them, that's great. I'm I'm happy for you. I just wish they were more focused, but just better made. Uh, but one of the ones I watched was called Iron Fists and Kung Fu Kicks, and it's about uh, Hong Kong cinema. But it's from a very Western perspective, which is weird, and it's kind of really muddled and all over the place. And uh, like it was co-written by Grady Hendrix, and I think Hendrix is awesome generally, but this is not like the best example of his work. He did just release a book last year about Hong Kong cinema that I haven't read yet. I do want to, but don't, you know, don't watch it. It's just, it's not a good doc. It has some interesting things, but it spends way more time trying to convince you that Hong Kong cinema has been important globally than just, you know, talking about Hong Kong cinema, which is, it's, it's just weird how it approaches things and it, it's all very all over the place and jumbled and, it's a, it's a shame because I, man, I love Kung Fu movies and Wuxia and it just like they deserve a better documentary overview than this, but you know, whatever. But that led me to uh, rewatch. I guess it, it might be the first, the, the movie that really kicked off filmmaking in Hong Kong. One of the early Shaw brothers productions, uh, 
Come Drink With Me, which uh, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. It's, it is like the one that started it all. It's the one that every Wuxia owes some debt to. And some of it's awesome. Like, it's well shot. It, the fights are, are well choreographed. Um, I, I think it's the first big film with uh, Ching Pai Pai as the lead. And, she, well, she's not the lead, and that's the problem, because she is excellent. Her two fight scenes are fantastic. But then halfway through, she's replaced with this really not charismatic actor doing, you know, a drunken kung fu, but... It's 1966, and it's awkward and not fun, and he's terrible. <laughs> and now we're stuck with him for reasons, because, I don't know, probably sexism, but whatever. You know, I, it's okay, but I think it's one of those ones where, like, the stuff that came after just builds so much better on it that it's not much more than a, a curiosity, except for the two first, the first two uh, Chang Pai Pai fights, which I, I think are worth looking up. You can probably find them separately on YouTube or wherever. Because th those are like the highlight of the movie. That's what everybody remembers. And the rest is just not, it's just not worth your time, honestly. And that's a horrible thing to say, but there's better movies out there. Uh, and then I watched, uh, I went to the theater and I watched The Menu. And I really like The Menu. Have you guys seen that yet? Not yet. No. It looks amazing, though. Oh my god, like, I saw the trailer, but I tried to avoid any spoilers or anything, and it was so much better than I I I hoped. Uh, the cast is the cast is excellent. Um, Anya Joy Taylor Anya Taylor Joy is excellent. I mean, she's great, and so is um, Hong Chow, who is, I mean, you know, she gets a, a lot of screen time. And I can't say who she is. She's like um, the um, the hostess at the restaurant, and she is just she is fantastic. I'm not sure if I've seen her in anything else off the top of my head. Oh, I think she she was in that that Watchmen TV show uh, a couple years back. Uh, but it's it's really good. Nicholas Holt is Holt is always great. Uh, John Leguizamo was good, and it's been a while since I've seen John Leguizamo in anything. I mean, except that, that stand-up Latino history special he did. Oh, that was okay. But it, it's been a while since I've seen him in, like, a an actual movie movie. Now, that's probably just my choices sucking, but he was good. It's uh, Judith Light, isn't it? And Judith Light is always great. Oh, there's always bonus points for Judith Light. I fully recommend it. Go see it. It's a blast. It's it's really probably the best uh, Ralph Ray Fiennes has been in a long time, and it's definitely the best thing from uh, Adam McKay's recent company because I I did not care for the other two films they've released this year. Um, they did. Uh, or no, last two years. They did Don't Look Up and Fresh, which I guess Fresh was okay, but I was not a fan of Don't Look Up, which if you Fresh go was, back. Fresh was the Sebastian Stan one? Yeah, it was. Okay, I like that one. Yeah. If, I think it left me kind of meh. Just like Don't Look Up, but <laughs> the menu was excellent. 
uh, fully recommend checking that out when you get a chance. Was that you? Yeah, I, I didn't have much this week because I'm still, you know, working on the great work. I watched every single American Pie spinoff. Uh, Bandcamp, Naked Mile, Beta House, Book of Love, and Girls Rule, and I enjoyed them all, uh, with Bandcamp being the best. Uh, I love Bandcamp because it fits well with the rest of the series, and it works well as a raunchy little rom-com, too. The rest of the series, the spinoff series, just feels like straight-to-video National Lampoon's college comedies, which isn't a knock. I really enjoy those as well. Um, they just don't feel like proper American Pie films like Bandcamp does. Bandcamp could actually fit with the original four. Uh, they all deal with like family members of Stifler. Uh, but the only one that really works as a Stifler family member is the brother, Matt. I, I don't know the actor's name. He was in the Lost Boys sequel too. But um, I forgot his name. But he actually nails the mannerisms of Sean William Scott really well. And he works perfectly as Stifler's brother which is why Bandcamp works so well. But um, yeah, the rest are, they're fine. Uh, the girls' rule one was actually really good. I thought the cast of girls were solid. And uh, if you enjoy, like, the National Lampoon's college comedies, straight-to-video, you'll you'll enjoy these. They're, they're fun. American Pie is probably my favorite comedy franchise ever. So it's hard to top anything that has... Jason Biggs and Chris Klein and Sean William Scott. Any any of those movies, I think those are fucking perfect. But these are fun straight-to-video movies. You can do a lot worse when it comes to directed video comedy. And uh, that's me. God, all of them? You are a you sick the, man. You mean the spinoffs? Yes. I enjoyed the spinoffs. I think they're fun. I mean, they're so much better than most directed video comedies that come out, like Without a Paddle 2 and Road Trip 2. Just, I think they're actually, they're fun, which those other ones aren't. But yes, I am a sick man anyways. Yeah, but Tyler, nobody else is seeking those films out either. Except for me, which I own. (laughs) (laughs) Do you own both of those? I have Road Trip 2, I have Without a Paddle 2. I didn't even Um, know Road Trip 2 existed. Yeah, it's it's called Road Trip 2 Beer Pong. Which oh wait, yes, I did not existed, and then I wiped it from my mind because it seemed pointless to retain that information. <laughs> Is there anyone in it from the first film, like somebody who was in one scene? Yeah, um, uh, what's his name? DJ Qualls is in there for like a minute, right? But, but that's about it. the The lead girl is the uh, perfect nipple placement girl from the Friday the Thirteenth remake, so that's where the <laughs> cast is. <laughs> But th- that one's actually not the worst thing ever. Without a Pal 2 is atrocious, though. But Road Trip 2 Beer Pong is not terrible. This week, we watched the 1971 psychological thriller by Sam Peckinpah, Straw Dogs. And the, ni- oh, I'm sorry, 2000 American teen rom-com from uh, Amy Heckerling, Loser. Hey, Kevin? Yes. You want to pick a movie and tell us about it? Sure. I will start with Loser, uh, Tyler's Choice. So Jason Biggs plays uh, Paul, 
the young man who basically heads to the big city to start uh, uni life and is the titular loser. He takes a shine to Mina Suvari's character, Dora. Uh, there's a horrible teacher played by Greg Kinnear. He's basically doing one of many smarmy and unpleasant Greg Kinnear turns. I like Greg Kinnear, but he excels at that kind of character. That's all I'm saying. Uh, written and directed by Amy Heckerling. This is... I mean, this is a teen drama that tries to keep things played, I would say, pretty light and upbeat throughout for most of it, when it really shouldn't be. Loser, like, gives me anxiety watching it because it's so uncomfortable and horrible in so many different ways. And we've discussed this before the podcast. I know, um, I have memories of this being due to come out and just thinking it was going to be another kind of teen rom-com, which is a fault in the marketing. But also, I think the film doesn't really set itself on any particular path. It's like Heckerling didn't know how to dress it up. She didn't know how far she wanted to go down any one road and she keeps pulling back from anything that's uh, potentially much more worthy of time spent on it or more serious or a bit more meaningful. And the things that is quite casual with, including, you know, there's a a quite major subplot involving a bunch of Paul's uh, dorm roomies slash uh, peers who have uh, plans to always party and uh, hopefully uh, drug and have sex with young women. Is you know that is their aim, and uh, that's really handled with a casual attitude that just shouldn't be there. Like maybe not have that as a main subplot of the film. Maybe that's just a suggestion from a non-film writer director. Maybe don't have that, or maybe have directions have way more consequences than they have in this film. But I can see why Tyler uh, would like a lot of this. The soundtrack is absolutely his jam, probably in every scene. Uh, like I can't think of one soundtrack choice that I didn't nod my head and think that's on Tyler's playlist. <laughs> so that is, that is something. It... <sighs> Moves along well enough, I guess. I think it's just under 100 minutes. It has enough uh, balls in there to juggle them and not necessarily get bogged down. I don't think Biggs is good enough in his role. I think he's all right and he's trying, but he he can't, certainly at this time, uh, if ever, like he can't 
break away from his his biggest role, the American Pie role. He just doesn't have enough to offer, and the script doesn't help, doesn't give him any more. I mean, it gives him some chunky clothes and a pretty horrible haircut. That's how you define his character. And he's a loser because he's generally shown to be quite a nice guy. I can't, I can't recall if there's anything that's like really uh, contrary to that, but I'm going to say we we'll assume he's he's quite a nice guy. Suvari, I've never been a big fan of hers. She is quite cute in this, quite a pleasant character at times, but she's also like really horribly um, naive at best, maybe passive for a lot of the time, uh, inconsiderate. Like, she's not always a nice person, and that doesn't have viewers rooting for sort of Paul to win her over. It's like, just find someone who deserves your attention and affection a bit more. That's another thing I would go with. Uh, The other supporting characters all blur into one big uh, strange slightly handsome but a bit odd date rape frat boy style Uh, although Jimmy Simpson stands out because he's Jimmy Simpson yeah you know I'm I'm not a big fan of this but I would be if it had settled on kind of what it would be I said to, I think it was Tyler, I said to it reminds me kind of of the is it the last American Virgin is that the one yeah see for you guys I think that was a big title for me in the UK I saw like Lemon Popsicle and the Lemon Popsicle films first and uh, didn't realise that that's that was all tied in really with the last American Virgin but it's it's almost like in line with that, but obviously for marketing purposes, they're going with Kenny Jason Biggs, Minasavari in there, and, and they're not the people for that kind of film. So, yeah, it, it just proves unsatisfying for most people, but it's amazing for Tyler, and that's what counts. Yeah, um... How do I say this? Okay. Uh, I think Kinnear is fine. He's fine as a smarmy asshole. And he's a smarmy asshole in this. He's he's good. Good for you, Greg. I'm glad that he got his niche. Uh, I enjoy him in better movies. I think Safari is fine. And she and Biggs are adorable together. I think they're incredibly cute together in this movie. Uh, then there's every other scene with them. Like, I... I don't get why she and Kinnear are a thing. I don't get why Jason Biggs' character is such a... Like, he has nothing. He is... His personality is he likes to study because he has a scholarship. Do you know how many people go to fucking NYU? Like, there's a ton. It's a huge school with people from all over the U.S. and and the world going there. So the fact that his date rapist uh, fucking roommates treat him like shit... Because he has he has a New Jersey accent. 
he's supposed to be from the Midwest, but he just he has a fucking New Jersey accent because Jason Biggs has a New Jersey accent because Jason Biggs can't do other accents. And they mock him for that. Oh, we hate you because of your fucking accent. Everything else in this movie is terrible. The script is bad. None of the jokes land. This is if you know what it feels like. Hello, my fellow kids or how do my fellow kids the movie? It obviously is written by old people, totally out of touch with the audience they're trying to get to. And to make it worse, the fucking three antagonists are, they are the worst after school special villains. Like, nobody would want to be with them because, around them, because they smell, like, you look at them and you go, oh yeah, that guy's going to roofie you. And they throw parties where every woman is roofied. Like, repeatedly. And nobody goes, hey... Hey, Jimmy Simpson is memorable, not because he's Jimmy Simpson. He is playing his role like one of the weasels from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> that is true. I mean, but I also do like the weasels. In I like the weasels, too, but they're animated. So that, you know, the one in a straitjacket that laughs after every word, it works in that. It doesn't work when it's Jimmy Simpson in the real world. I mean, they're so painfully atrocious that I don't, like, yeah, okay, uh, there's a lot of heavy themes in this movie that they handle terribly. This movie might have the most cavalier attitude towards being drugged and raped of any film I have ever seen. Like, it, like, she, I don't know how to talk about this. Because it, it's not a spoiler because it's the main plot. Their their meat cute is her being overdosed on the toilet. And this is just a movie about, like, how nobody cares. The hospital just lets them take a passed out girl. That'd be illegal as fuck. Um... Uh, it's just like the, the the school doesn't find housing for its its um students on on scholarships because uh, they don't pay. So fuck them. I mean, the whole thing is just it is this weird, out of touch, cranky old person's view of youth. Now, I know a lot of folks that went to NYU and most of them on a scholarship. A couple of them had their scholarships pulled when NYU uh won the war to court the Olsen twins. Because the billionaire Olsen twins got to go to NYU for free. And poor students got kicked out because they lost their scholarships to cover the Olsen twins. Let that sink in before I go on. That's the most fucked up thing we're going to say on this podcast. And we talk about two movies that deal with rape pretty heavily. It's just, it it doesn't land, it doesn't work, and I know, like, Heckerling is fully to blame, because it's a bad script. And she wrote the script, or at least co-wrote the script. No? No, she's the only writer on it. I mean, she swears, oh, it, it would have been better, except they demanded a PG-13. But th- th- if this was R, it wouldn't fix the issues that are there. All of these issues come from deliberate choices. I don't want to see the weasels 
as more serious rapists. That doesn't make them creepier. It doesn't make it work better. That just makes the jokes even less funny. Uh, and that's that's the problem. It's It cares more about trying to be hip and, and being in touch with the down with the kids than it does about making a good movie. It's it's terrible. And I like a lot of Heckerling's films. Uh, I, I think Fast Times and Clueless are immortal classics in the pantheon of comedies. But Loser sucks. It is so fucking bad. And I like I get that it, it hits some people's nostalgia buttons. But there's there's no excuse for how they approach this content. I and there's no excuse from Heckerling because she's better than this. I mean, if if you can only tell this story one way, then don't tell the fucking story. Walk the fuck away, because this this is it's just gross. Kevin, how many likes did this get on Instagram? <laughs> no, no. See, that's unfair because I've not done a Straw Dogs post yet. But yeah, you you did farm the likes uh, when I put the picture up for this. I, th- I think it hits a lot of people the same way. I'm not sure if those people reacting to it, you know, have, have seen it since 2000? Recently. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no. I'm gonna say I, I, I'll, I'll put money on the fact that most of these people haven't seen this movie in at least 15 years. But T, T knows how to get us. Oh, he does. Likes. They just don't. They just don't <laughs> listen. Um. So I have a little story to go with this movie. Uh, back when this came out, July 2000, I remember the date. Uh, 22 years ago. I had a friend of the family that managed a movie theater that was pretty close to my house. And uh, she would get us in movies for free all the time. Like, I, I'm not even joking, like 97 to 2001, I must have saw hundreds of movies just for free because she managed that theater and she would let me in all the time. It was fucking amazing. I saw Loser three times theatrically. Uh, and she even got me that huge theatrical poster that was hanging on the theater wall, which I still have. That poster is fucking massive, like 60 by 40 or something like that. It's fucking huge. I still have that here. Uh, anyways, this is probably my most watched movie I've picked for the show. And I'm not even exaggerating. I have seen this movie from start to finish so many fucking times. You can put this shit on mute and I could totally recite it line for line. Not even joking. Uh, HBO, back when this finally dropped on home video, played it every single day of the fucking week and I probably watched it every single day of the week back in 2001. I just I love this movie and I'm not just saying that because how much I crushed on Mina Savari back when I was like 10. This for me is like a total time capsule of the era I love the most, the early 2000s. From the soundtrack, which Kevin said, which has bands like Everclear, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Blink-182, Weedis, Trinket, SR-71, when I hear the music in this movie, it just makes me miss that era so much, and it's perfect. I think the cast is great. I love Jason Biggs. I've always found him to be an incredibly likable on-screen presence in almost everything. I actually think Orange is the New Black went downhill when he left, because I thought he was great in that. 
uh, Mina Savari is wonderful. She's just so fucking cute in this movie. And I like her little character quirks of eating like free packages of honey from the campus cafeteria. Uh, I think her and Biggs have amazing chemistry together as well. I just, I love their chemistry in this. I hate Greg Kinnear's character, but I think he plays a pretentious douchebag really well. And I love Kinnear for that because he always plays a a pretentious douchebag. He plays it really well. Uh, the three rapist roommates are some truly fucking awful human beings. And uh, Dave's Roger Rabbit comparison is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever heard. And I just had to mute my mic because I was laughing so hard. That was fucking hysterical. <laughs> um, honestly, though, every single character in this that's not Jason Biggs, Mina Savari, or Dan Aykroyd are all assholes. Every single one of them. The vet, that convenience store clerk, uh, the strip club owner, the her friend waitress from uh, Look Who's Talking, they're all assholes, every single one of them. And uh, I think it's purposely so, because I think the only likable characters are those three, but I think that's how Heckling wrote them, so I just go with it. Uh, hey, Amy Heckling is a director that I've always liked, Fast Times, Clueless, Look Who's Talking. I haven't seen Vamp, so I can't comment on that one. Uh, but oh. those are all movies. That, that's a bad one. No, I just forgot it existed. Yeah. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Uh, I kind of skipped most of the vampire movies after Twilight. Not that's not knocking Twilight. I like Twilight, but just I kind of skipped them after that. But she's always a director I enjoy. But uh, Loser, for some reason, is just something special to me. Like I said, it's a total time capsule of an era that I love dearly. I mean, everyone has that nostalgic time period, and this is the movie for me that just captures that nostalgia in a bottle. So, yeah. I am a huge, huge fan of Loser. Yeah, but you know, this came out the same month as X-Men and Scary Movie. Why didn't you watch those instead? Well, I saw X-Men in the theater. Um, Scary Movie, I don't I don't think I saw Scary Movie until Home Video, but there was a lot of movies from the 2000s that I saw in theaters, Only mostly because I fucking got in for free, but... Uh, scary movie. I was. I was like. I, I was only ten, so I couldn't get into scary movie by myself. <laughs> Basically, if if you transplanted this soundtrack into something like She's All That or Get Over It, then either of those movies could have crashed right into your top ten. Oh, easily. easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, if this soundtrack was on the Muppets Christmas Carol, it would be in his top ten. <laughs> but it's got. It's got that. All those movies from this time have that certain aesthetic that Tyler likes from that time, and he responded to it then, and there's also the nostalgia. But the soundtrack, yeah, the soundtrack always adds, like, ten points for tea. Oh, yes. Especially this soundtrack, because any movie that has fucking Everclear is A-OK in my book. I yeah, mean, I, I was enjoying quite a few of the tracks. <laughs> since, since it came up, uh, I think you will like Vamps. Uh, it's it's one of those ones that's got a great cast. It's just it has the same problem as this one. The script is just weak. Did Heckerling write that too? And you know what? Offhand, I I, I don't know. This but it's got a Lisa Silver. Right? It's got a Lisa Silverstone and uh, uh, Kristen Ritter, who are both, you know. Well, like and both. on the on the plus side, it's decidedly at least aiming for comedy. Yeah. Like there's a, a little bit of other stuff mixed in there, but it it's, knows it's playing it for the comedy. 
there are jokes that land, which, you know, puts it above loser for me. So Straw Dogs, uh, a young American and his English wife come to a rural England countryside and face increasingly vicious local harassment. Directed by Sam Peckinpah. Dave knew what he was doing here, and I applaud him for doing it. He went and picked the movie straight from my top 100 to go against Loser this week. That's like the most savage move ever on this podcast, actually. Just just vicious. Um, it, it, what's funny is it's not even the most savage thing ever because Kevin has made me watch Wes Anderson's entire filmography, so I don't know what's more vicious. <laughs> Uh, Straw Dogs is an actual masterpiece, though. Uh, not only is this Dustin Hoffman's best performance, which is high praise because I've loved Hoffman and everything I've seen him in, amazing actor, but this is also Sam Peckinpah's masterpiece. It's such a savage work of art. Susan George is fantastic in this. Just an incredible performance from her here. I, I know there's people out there that have issues with the portrayal of the rape scene. Like, I've read people say Peckinpah shot and, shot and directed that in a way that made it seem like she, the character, enjoyed it, which I personally don't see at all. That scene is fucking stomach-churning, and the build-up to that sequence, no matter how many times I've seen this movie, is just so unapologetically brutal, just, just like this entire film. I love the slow build. It's perfectly paced in the most 1970s way possible. Beautifully shot, masterfully edited. The cast is fantastic. The villains are just vile. That final home invasion scene is absolutely wonderful. And it's just raw, pure savagery. I just, I love this movie. It's fucking perfect. And God damn it, Dave, you knew I could never vote against this. And I love you for that. Um, before Kevin brings it up, I also love the remake as well as just a straight up redneck revenge movie. I love the Deep South setting, and I think it works for a modern retelling of Straw Dogs. I know Dave hates that movie, but I really like the remake a lot. But the original's fucking perfect. Um, I agree with a lot of Tyler's takes. I, I have a bit more to say about some of the things. Um, I, I think, again, uh, George is fan she's fantastic. I mean, she gives a tour de force performance. It is... It is jaw dropping. The, the, the rape scene is, is deeply disturbing. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that criticism too. And I, I see why folks mention it, but I always thought she, um, was disassociating because of how they film the things around her while she's looking at them. But there's a lot of, um, more complicated politics and things that go on here that we are not the people to discuss that. Uh, so I, I see how folks might think that I, I don't agree in this case, but I, I, I do, I, I understand where that point of view is coming from. Um, my, my problem with this movie, uh, it is well-made. It is Peck and Paw's best film for me as, as well. Uh, Hoffman's really good. The problem I have with this movie is, it just it's it lacks conviction it doesn't really say anything with what's going on and eventually it's just violence for violence sake because Hoffman's character is and he's not pushed he is always an abusive piece of shit he is always a vicious nasty piece of shit it's just for the first three two acts he is 
scared to push back against men, but he abuses his wife. He abuses the cat. I mean, he is not. This isn't a good civil man pushed too far. He's a monster from the word go. He's just a different kind of monster. And I I think Peckinpah made the most anti-toxic masculinity film out there. And I think if he realized that, he'd be horrified. Because Peckinpah has such a simplistic, childish view of masculinity that it kind of undermines this movie for me now. Uh, when I first saw it, many... Many years ago, before Loser came out. So, back in the long, long ago, uh, I was I was shocked by it, and I've seen it a few times now. And I, I still think, in terms of filmmaking, it's it's excellent. In terms of of acting, it's excellent. In terms of its moralistic center and what it's it's going for, I think it's it's kind of childish bullshit. I I think it doesn't understand what it's trying to say, so it says nothing. But I think if you look at it with a more modern lens, it, it is very much an anti-toxic masculinity film that doesn't realize it to the point that I, I think if Peckinpah was still alive, he would be absolutely shocked with his own movie. Because um, at, at no point does it say that his actions are right because he doesn't adopt new actions. He doesn't adopt a new stance he just copies his the bullying that he already did and that he's seen or that we've seen the the antagonist do so that's obviously not the right way to go but it doesn't have an alternate and i think that's where this movie falls apart it needs a far more clear um moralistic stance on things because uh, the, just the way that this is set up is it, it is a morality play. The book is a morality play. And Peckinpah simplifies it too, too much. He makes it too black and white. But in in doing that, because, you know, the book has a few more shades of, of gray and, and a few more. um, uh, A few more interesting motivators. Than, than the the film does, uh, but yeah, I mean Peckinpah hates everybody, but he especially hates women. That's obvious. But like that's that's not the that can't be the central thesis here. I hate women, so I'm going to punish the only two in my film. That's that's not what you're leading up to, is it? No, I think he's trying. He thinks he's saying that civilized man is just as savage, but the truth is. He's always savage, so it's not a change. It's not a build-up. He just stops being scared. And I don't. I don't think that's the 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 story he is telling. It's what he wants to tell. But no, and instead, I think it's saying everybody's wrong. And I'm okay with that. It's a good flick. It's worth checking out. The Criterion edition is gorgeous. But I, you know, it's one of those ones that's going to be reevaluated. All- as as long as folks are talking about movies, I think this version of Straw Dogs will pop up. I think the remake is just mindless corporate bullshit. Uh, I you know the cast does fine. I mean, to be fair, it's not like the worst film ever made. Just it doesn't do anything enough to justify its existence. It's like the remake of Last House on the Left. It's it's fine for what it is. 
but when the original is <laughs> is Peckinpah Straw Dogs, you you need to have a bit more. Uh, well, yeah, I'll start with a remake then. I tend to agree with you. It is generally fine for what it is. It misses out on some important things that the original does have. But some of the cast make up for it. Um, particularly James uh, Marsden and Bosworth in the leads. I think I think they're good. I think Marsden is surprisingly good in that role. But it also helps that Alexander Skarsgård has a main role and he's uh, he's the best of the trio. And then you've got a supporting term from James Woods. Uh, I I liked it more than I expected to, but I'll never revisit it. But I think I think everybody did well with what they were given in general. As for the original, though, um, yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you guys. It is uh, a masterpiece. I'm not sure if I would put it as Peckinpah's best. It's been a while since I've watched The Wild Bunch. Uh, and there's a few others I need to check out, but it is uh, it is top tier. But I I can't help feeling that this is done in such a way that it's very deliberate. It's very uh, neatly constructed, and how complex and just thought provoking it is. No. Uh, whether it's George being infantilized throughout. But what were you guys say, Dave? Well, I don't disagree with it being deliberate. I'm just saying that he doesn't have an ultimate. He, there's no ultimate point to. There's no statement. That's what I meant. But yeah, no, it's all on purpose. Uh, yeah, but I think um, like I think the key to that is uh, during the the third act. I mean, is Hoffman going on and on? And he's he's already determined to push back and fight and take a stand uh, without ever knowing what happened to his wife. And I think that's uh, like that's a real key point in that part. Obviously, things uh, come up a little bit later, but he's, he's too far gone by. And like he's pretty much fighting against her as much as he is the people trying to get into their house and it's uh yeah it's a completely completely destructive way to suddenly uh stand up and fight back it, it was a really anxiety ridden week for me because both of these films are, are full of stuff i don't like in in like real life and i'm talking about the stuff that you could view as mild in content. Like, I know I'm the kind of guy who would, uh, you know, if, if we're out somewhere and it's a bad meal, I'll just be like, right, you know, we're not tipping. I just didn't let us, blah, blah, blah. I'd, but I'll be with someone who can speak up. Like, I won't, I won't speak up. If there's a fight kicking off, I'll be like, let's, it's not our business. Let's just stay out of it. Somebody else might step in. I'll be like, oh my God. And a lot of the time, I think that's absolutely fine. 
and other times it's just me being like just mortally afraid of extra interactions that I could avoid and would prefer to avoid. So just let's just be done. I'm always like, right, let's let's just get this done and move on. So uh with Hoffman's character in that regard, I'm like, yeah, just you know, <laughs> just hate it. There's strangers looking at him, he's trying to just have a beer, say hi, be a bit friendly, but do what needs to be done and get out. I can identify with that. Then, as you say, he's uh, he's quite the prick throughout as well. So there's that other side of things. And there's nothing that you can really see as a, as a sort of connection between Hoffman and Susan George. Like, it, it seems strange as to how they ended up married. Um, which, which is actually one of the things that I, it's a little strand that I think works a bit better in the update for the remake as the actual sort of where their, where their relationship stemmed from and uh, how there's still that imbalance there. I hate to interrupt. But, he, but I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree with that. I, you see exactly oh. how they do. And it's in George's performance. She's always trying to change herself to be up to him. It's because he has a dominating role in the relationship. Yeah, I just so you think she she was sort of she'd obviously gone for him. Oh yeah, oh de- more, yeah, def- more than more than him getting lucky and go. Yeah, I can't, she was they, because she do mention her dad. The, I can't remember she the role he played. Yeah, she mentions her dad. She's reading the chess book to try to because she thinks that's you know it's all about him. Their relationship is about but, him. And obviously that works for him. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, there's just, I mean, she might be trying. The stone never feels to be a, a connection. It's very, it's very odd, but it's all feeding into the way the whole storyline is working towards the finale. So, you know, I'm not saying that as a, as a big fault. It's just, yeah, I never bought them completely as a married couple. But with you saying that, that makes absolute sense with her behavior being sort of key into sort of either maintaining the relationship or sort of pushing for uh, better elements of it. But yeah, I, I just think this is, uh, it's, it's pretty fantastic. It's got a constant air of tension that turns into low rumblings of menace until you get overt acts that are then unavoidable and goes into that finale. Um, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, it's great. As, as you guys said, it will be, you know, discussed and dissected and reappraised in different ways, I guess, over, over the years, depending on, uh, who's looking at it through what filter and there are different moments that will um, certainly you know strike a chord in different ways with people that is that is the power of it as well whether uh, a lot of people end up hating certain moments in the film or whether they 
appreciate as part of the the overall viewing experience. You know, I think whatever you think of it, by the time it gets ten credits, you can't deny that it's a powerful piece of work. Oh, definitely. I I do wish I wish they. I've read the book, so if I may. Oh, here we go. No, the the thing the thing I wish they they'd kept is, um, the girl. In the book, she's seven. All right. And in the book, they. Well, okay. In the movie, they don't know what happened to her, but we do. And in the book, the guy's an escaped, pet, like he's convicted and escaped. I, I think there's a, there's a car accident. So they're assuming he did something to the girl, and they're assuming that here. The difference is, in this, we know, and in the book, they're totally unrelated to each other. I always misremember and think that he's uh, a char- the character played by David Warner in yeah. The Village. I, I always think he's, uh, you know, he's recently come back into The Village and been sort of, you know reintegrated in society after a stay at some institution whether it's prison or a hospital and then unless i missed it that's just not the case is it no no like no. they kind of hint in, that in something happened before but we're never told yeah. what we're never told like we know nothing happened to him because of it because they say oh we should have sent him away so i yeah like, it's like well what happened doesn't matter they just don't like him for reasons because he's openly playing with kids in the first shot so uh, like yes. <laughs> like there's a and this is one of the things i have why i say i, I don't think they have the statement they they the statement they're making isn't fully formed because that happens and nobody cares until this one moment where it becomes now we have to kill him for wh- why the fuck not and and they 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 shouldn't have mice and mend him that was a mistake. Yeah. I mean, I think on both sides, it is, that's right, though. Nobody cares until that point. And then, and then they're just like, right, we, we'll pick this fight to go, to go for. You know, that, that's it. Right. Now, now we're going to do this. We will, we will charge at this point when, as you say, there's so many other times. Uh, for the for all we know throughout the history of that character in the village, it's just it's it's like that clash between them, uh, both sides of the battle could have easily just uh, decided to figure a a different approach. I would say because uh, I I'm trying to think of how it plays out then and what information is available to them, and if. I remember right, it's just someone missing as well at that point. Yeah. To them. Yeah. Uh, although they, although they, that is what? of concern. Yeah. Um, but you know, you would have liked that change. Uh Tyler would have liked a bit more teenage dirtbag on the soundtrack going over everything. So can't always have everything in every film that we want. Let's just settle for what we got before we get the Tyler edit. Which is just a lot of extra shots of the stairs. I'm not gonna lie, I would, I'd watch that to teenage dirtbag <laughs> with bagpipes. 
T presents their dogs. <laughs> it's time to pick one, and I think it's it's, it's straw dogs. Yeah, it's straw dogs. Normally, I would never vote against loser, never. But yes, straw dogs. Oh, I am shocked, T. That was a little rough, like genuinely shaking. <laughs> but hey, it's uh, it's okay. Uh, it's, uh, straw Dogs technically is the better film, and I'll go with that excuse this time. Yeah, woo! But next week, it's you. Get, maybe you'll redeem yourself. You get a pick. Kevin gets a pick. What are we watching? Well, I am going back to my top 100, like we just did with Straw Dogs. But I'm going with one of my favorite romance movies. I'm going with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay. Well, slightly influenced by our earlier conversation, I'm actually going for the 1986 horror comedy Vamp. Damn. Why are we so nice to him? He's so mean to us. <laughs> I didn't realize he liked Vamp. I wasn't sure if uh, if everyone had seen it before or not. It's, Vamp is the I, one with, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, yeah, Grace Jones. Yes, yes. Yeah. I haven't seen that in many years. so It's been a while. I think hopefully our conversation about it would encourage our three listeners to check it out if they haven't already. It is a good one. I think it's on the Criterion channel currently. Oh. One second. I had to do it. I had to uh, take one out without the Twitter shit. (laughs) You can find us on Instagram, Raiders underscore of underscore the underscore podcast. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where Kevin makes awesome videos weekly. And uh, we're not on Twitter anymore, but we have other accounts anymore, like Mastodon or anything like that. Or is that just you, Kevin? I just. It's just me, but I, I try and share the uh, podcast stuff on there. So mainly daily is Instagram posts. But yeah, Mastodon will be uh, a place where updates happen occasionally. Cool. And uh, we have a Facebook where I did remember to do a Wednesday post because it was loser related. So, <laughs> yay. <yes. laughs> and uh, that is it. So, I will, we will see you guys next week. See ya. See ya.